Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Amen. Man, so much of uh, what's just on my heart for today, well, in many ways where we were last week as well, I just feel like we, we experienced it here. Uh, we really came in to touch the Lord first and foremost. We ministered to his heart, and I believe as a result, the Lord is touching many people as well. Man, it's so good. Um, last week, we transitioned from names of God into a new uh, teaching series, if that's what you want to call it. I don't know how long we'll be here, but I do feel the Lord on it, and it's so critical to who we are as a body. And, and hopefully, if, if you weren't here last week, we sent it out, uh, email, and, and got it on the podcast, but it's... Uh, it's, it's entitled Ministry to the Lord. And so we begin to start, start a new teaching series on ministry to the Lord. And again, I just really encourage you because of how, how essential and foundational this is for our body. And I believe it's not just for our body. I believe as we'll go through this more and more, you'll see that this is the most glorious occupation that we all have. is to minister first and foremost to the Lord. And, uh, and I just want my heart as a shepherd is that we would go through this in unity and come out on the other side with such clarity as to... Uh, who we are as a church and, and why we do what we do. So we're going to stay on this for a few more weeks. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack and, and, uh, and go deep over the next few weeks. But I'm really, I'm so gripped by this. It's like, it's my passion. When I start talking about ministry to the Lord, something just begins to come alive. Um, there's just something unique about it. And what I'm so encouraged by and really like blessed is that this is a house that I believe is really growing in this, what it means to minister to God first. And I know that I'm running with people who've caught that value and are giving their lives to it. And the more that we as a body in, 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 in unity give ourselves to this as our first ministry, we're going to see the fruit and the impact that that's going to have in our lives and in this city. Yes? Because when we start ministering to the Lord, and again, I'll, I'll recap a little bit if you're unfamiliar with that. But when we start ministering to the Lord, everything starts to, I feel like, fall into divine alignment. <laughs> When God really has preeminence over our lives and he has first place, this is what gives life to every other ministry, every other ministry. So why don't you open up with me to Isaiah chapter 56, Isaiah 56. I'm going to share something from here in a few minutes. We'll hit this text and then we'll jump into Ezekiel and then we'll call it a day and enjoy our fathers. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Okay, so real quick, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to, I want to kind of bridge the gap from where we were last week. And so there's going to be some repetition, but with fresh things from the scripture. And I think that's okay, because when we're setting vision, it's okay to repeat, because vision leaks. And so we want to keep it before us, so we really grasp this. And when it comes to ministry to the Lord, I believe that this is our eternal calling. Like, what, what, we'll see this next week. We're going to really unpack how... We were created in the garden to minister to God. Sin destroyed that. Jesus reinstates it. And when you look at Revelation, it ends with us ministering to the Lord again. And so I believe this is our eternal calling. Every single person in here, this, is, this was birthed in you to connect with God this way. But I also believe that it is our, it's our highest calling, meaning it's our greatest privilege. And I think um, today especially, that's what's really going to come forth is the privilege, the privilege. Like we were singing about it today. You have torn the veil. You have made a way. Like, it is a privilege that we get to draw near to God and bless his heart. <laughs> this is so essential to our vision, our DNA. Like, ministry to the Lord is something that we do personally. We should have devotion lives. Like, we stress that. Like, it won't work if it's just a corporate thing. Like, we, we, we grow in ministering in our, in our secret place, in the prayer closet. But we're talking about this on a corporate level how do we fulfill this command to first minister to God? And we do that primarily, yes, here on Sunday, but primarily in the prayer room. And so we're really putting before people that I, I believe God wants every single person, if you call to this body, to be in that prayer room ministering to his heart. Yes? So when we started this church, just to kind of be just real in my journey in this, um, I've heard the term ministering to the Lord. And we even preached that when we were at the property owners. But to be honest, I just didn't really fully grasp it. And when we went through uh, COVID and things started to get shut down, one of the beautiful things that I saw God doing in that is really stripping 
churches and people down to like the one thing again. <laughs> Getting back to Jesus being the center. And, and, uh, and so we've always wanted that and pursued that. But I feel like we just didn't really have clear vision for it. And I remember God just re- returning back to things that he shared to me. And I remember during that time of COVID, uh, the Lord said, Andrew, I didn't call you out to Mastic Beach to first minister to man. I first called you to come out to here and actually minister to me. I believe the Lord actually said the first thing when I called you out here is actually to create a place where people would meet my desire first. And I believe the Lord has said and promised us that if we would, if we would commit ourselves to this, if we would give ourselves away to meeting the Lord's desire, the Lord has said, I will meet all of your needs. <laughs> like there's a, there's, a, there's a beautiful rhythm to this that, that I think is really simple. Seek first his kingdom. And God says, if you would bless me, if you would, if you would make it about me, if you would make your life calling to pursue me, I believe God says the needs of this community, which can seem overwhelming, the needs of our own lives, which is like, where do we even start? The Lord says, watch how I start supernaturally taking care of those things. And so that's the journey that we've been on. So, all right, Lord, we're going to create a space for you where where we're going to lead people to love you, to love you first and foremost before anything else. And when God was telling me this, honestly, this was really foreign. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean minister to you, Lord? (laughs) Right, because when I hear ministry, and we, we were hitting this last week, but when I hear ministry, I'm thinking preaching, teaching, going on the missions field. I'm thinking uh, pastoral care. And let me be clear, that is all so significant. That is all biblical ministry. That is all part of a New Testament church. But that, but that is all under the category of ministry to man. The Bible actually talks about something very specific about when we minister to the Lord first, where it's not for the benefit of man. It's only for his benefit. Like, is the Lord blessed when we go out and minister to others? Of course, Matthew 25 says that. But our first ministry is actually, Lord, I'm, I'm here to give you the reward of your suffering, which is my heart, my life, to love you. Like, that's the number one thing. And, and from that place, there's life and authority and anointing that hits every other ministry that, that we do. I honestly, not only did I find it foreign at first, I actually found it mildly offensive. Because <laughs> I'm like, Lord, minister to you? What do you mean? Like, you're God. You have no needs. When we minister to a man, he has needs. And, and I want to be clear that, that God has no needs in the sense of lacking, right? He, this is not about meeting a lack in, in God. He's perfect. He's complete. He's God Almighty. When we're talking about ministering to God, when we say we meet his need, what it really means is we're meeting a desire that God has. Because God is love, there's a desire in the heart of God for his people to love him and to receive his love. And so what we're doing in ministering to the Lord is we're not meeting a lack in God, but we're meeting this desire of love that's in his heart. And I want you to know that every single person here, it's like, what do you mean? Who am I? You have something that God wants. <laughs> and this is beyond like, yeah, does he use us in incredible ways? Yeah, but what he first wants, as we'll see again today, is he wants you to draw near. He wants you to draw near. You have something that moves the heart of God. This blows my mind. As the more I'm in the scriptures, the more I'm coming to realization that, that there is something that happens when we come and we begin to open our mouth and we begin to give thanksgiving to God, praise to God, we begin to share our hearts in intercession where God says, you don't understand how that moves me. It blesses God Almighty. It stirs his heart. Like you come in here and you start saying, like we're worshiping today, you've made a way, God. Thank you, thank you. And the God of heavens takes notice and says that, that meets a desire that I have. When you draw near and give that to me. Yes? So, so for us, like ministering to the Lord is, is so connected. Jesus says he's the bridegroom. We're the bride. Just as a husband has a desire for the affections and the attentions of his wife, so does Jesus have a desire for the affection and attention of his church. And so for us, ministry to the Lord is in many ways fulfilling first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Now, one of the mistakes that that I've made is that I start doing a lot of things for God in the name of loving God. Now, is that a way which we love God? Yes. But we gave the example last week. Imagine I did all these things for my wife. Clean the house, all those things. There's no doubt that she receives that as love. But that will never replace connecting with her intimately, sitting before her, looking in her eyes and saying, I love you. This is why. Because of what you do and who you are. And as new covenant priests, because that's a big part of this, as new covenant priests, the Lord's invited us to draw near and through intercession, worship, which is thanksgiving praise, 
to connect intimately and say, God, we love you. Here's why. You're worthy. You're holy. And God says, when you start doing this to me, this, this so moves my heart. John 14, it says, the Lord says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And I feel so often what we're focused on is trying to get people to behave and trying to get people to, to obey when actually the first thing is love God. Obedience is the fruit. Love is the root. And we're trying to get people to adjust behavior when really the issue is do we love God? And the more we lead people to minister to the heart of God and to love God, guess what happens? Obedience flows from that place. There's a delight that comes from that place. There's a rest that comes from that place. And I so believe, like, there's reformation, I really believe, that's coming to the church. <laughs> I really do. I just, I, this is, man, you, you stand where you want this. I just think it's going to look different than maybe we thought. I, I, what I see emerging is churches that look more like Mary of Bethany than Martha. Martha was anxious and worried about many things, but there was one who sat at the feet of Jesus, and she said she has Jesus said she has chosen the better thing. And it's not that we stay there, but it's that from that place, well, now when we go to minister, we have something to give. We've encountered life itself. There's faith. There's authority. There's love. We carry the burden of the Lord. We carry the strategies of the Lord. And, and I, I really think for so long it's been like busy, busy, busy doing good things, and the Lord's calling the people back to this one thing. All ministry will flow out of this. I, I, I think the world is longing to see a people that really love God. Like, we've seen religion. <laughs> we've seen something stuffy and stoic. We've seen behavior modification. We've seen people put on the smile and have the language for a few hours and go home, and their lives look no different. But there's a craving in the heart of people to say, what does it look like to love God? Like, what does it really look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And the more that we start diving into this ministry, I believe it's going to awaken hearts to say, I want to know who this Jesus is. <laughs> Song of Solomon, if you're with us over the summer, went through it. If not, it's a beautiful love story between a husband and wife. But on a deeper level, it's a prophetic picture of Jesus and the church. And in chapter 5, it says that the bride, which is the church, is, is intensely pursuing the bridegroom, Jesus. And as she's searching and seeking, and there's such an expression of love for the bridegroom, it says there's these women called the daughters of Jerusalem. They're, in essence, they're the outsiders, unbelievers. It says, when they watch her pursuit of the bridegroom, they are stirred and provoked. They ask the question, what is so good about your bridegroom? <laughs> when they saw her love, they said, tell me what's so special about this Jesus. And she began to say, oh, he's the chiefest among 10,000. And she goes on to list. But it was her love, it was her love for Jesus, the bridegroom, that caused hearts that didn't know about him to say, wait a minute, you've got to tell me about this God. Why are you so madly in love with him? And so in all of this, I, like for me personally, I, I've been undergoing a serious paradigm shift when it comes to ministry. <laughs> because for the longest time, my questions, like two years ago, the questions I asked was all about man, ministry to man. Which again has value, but it's secondary to this ministry. Every question was, does man like this? Does man like the worship? Is it too long? Is it too short? Is the sermons, are they inspiring enough? All these questions were about that, and I feel like all those questions are being flipped upside down when I'm realizing well, our first thing is to say, was he pleased? Was he blessed? Did he enjoy it? Did he come upon our praises? Like, did this bless his heart? <laughs> That's the primary thing we're asking. I used to ask, what did we receive? Now, here's the beautiful thing. You can never outgive God. You start giving to God, he will always give back. But my primary thing was, did we receive? Did I receive a word? Did I receive something in worship? Uh-uh. It's first, did he receive? Did he receive what he's worthy of? Yeah. All blessing and honor and glory and power he is worthy to receive. Yeah. I'll give you in a second, brother, after, all right? And so when we come in, right, all blessing and honor, we're, we're, we're saying this is what you're worthy of to, to receive. And I think, honestly, I, I, I think so long it's been, it's been centered on, we talked about this last week, centered on the needs of man. And again, God moves and breaks through, and he's going to do it again today. But what I'm talking about is a, is a shift in the, in the motivation for which we come in. And we saw in Acts 13 that the more we make it about God, Holy Spirit starts leading. Holy Spirit starts taking over. And we see people really get set free and delivered. 
So look, this morning we worshiped for almost an hour, <laughs> right? There was, a, there was a time where like, I would be like, oh my goodness, people are going to get uncomfortable. We sang the same song almost for an hour. Do you know that? <laughs> Back in the day, I'd say, wait, wait, this is, we can't do that. We can't do that because, because what happens if someone leaves and they don't get to hear the message? But it was all catered to the needs of man. And, and now I'm realizing, look, they sing holy, holy, holy in the throne room of God right now. They're singing one song over and over because it's about what moves his heart. And I so think that there are, I think people are, they're craving something deeper. We actually think that we're, we're helping them, but actually we're robbing them of something that they were made for. To get lost in the depths of God and to see him and have their eyes awaken. If we would just press in a little bit more past what we're comfortable with, we would see God truly take over and hearts to say, wow, this is what I was made for. So Isaiah 56. We're going we're gonna to unpack ministry to the Lord. I'll share again a little bit today. Uh, new, I shared this before, but new covenant priesthood. We're going to hit it again today, but next week we really get into it. Every person here, when you're in Christ, you're a priest. Some people don't even realize that. We want to we recapture biblical identity. But the main thing, as we move through this, we're going to get into um, how we minister to God, worship prayer, thanksgiving, praise, intercession. Like when we start seeing these things, I'm telling you, our hearts will never be the same. But here's the main thing, is that I want us to see, we need a revelation of the value of ministering to God. We need a revelation of the significance and the fruit and the impact. Because once we start seeing what happens when we give ourselves to this first ministry, what will happen is we'll begin to see why it's so appropriate to give so much time and energy and resources to this. We'll begin to see why the house of prayer for us is our first ministry that leads out to every other ministry. Because if this thing gets in order, everything else begins to work itself out. Yes? All right, so Isaiah 56. Now, I'm going to just pick it up and just read two verses. But if you were with us a few weeks ago, we actually shared Isaiah 53, which I'm thankful for because it really sets the stage. If you remember, Isaiah 53 is all about this prophecy about the suffering servant. It's all about Jesus. There's probably not a clearer Old Testament passage that has gospel language than Isaiah 53. It is all about how the sins of humanity... All of them, every single person, every single one, will be heaped on one man. And when the father sees the sins on this righteous, perfect servant, he says he will bruise him, he will crush him, he will pierce him in order to open up a door for us to be declared righteous. And so what we have is after Isaiah 53, these following chapters, 54, 55, 56, it's all about the blessing, the overflow from this one righteous servant who will suffer for all. New covenant. New creation. But then we get right here into chapter 56, which is that now foreigners, those who were once considered outsiders, meaning Gentiles, non-Jews, that's the biblical language, they too will be able to be brought in. So important. We talked about how he, he rent the veil. We talked about how he, he conquered death. Jesus' suffering was unto something, and we're going to see that tonight. And what we're doing as a body is responding and giving him the reward of his suffering. So look what it says. Verse 6 will start in Isaiah 56. Remember, this is in light now. This is a, this beautiful prophetic language of what would happen, which Jesus has come. A blessing of the suffering servant. Verse 6 says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. So here you got this righteous servant who's going to rise spotless, blameless. He'll give his life up for all. And now we're getting all of the blessings and overflow from that. And here the, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, and one of the things that will happen is the doors will be flung wide open for foreigners to come in, to join themselves to the Lord and to bless his name by ministering to him. It says join. Foreigners will be able to join to the Lord. That is such an intimate word. It means to, 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 be, to bind yourself to someone, to cleave. Genesis says, a man shall leave his father's household and be joined to his wife. Be cleaved to his wife. And what this is saying is that foreigners are going to be joined in intimate covenant with Jesus. 
Everyone will be able to have access through the suffering servant to come near and be in, in relationship and marriage with him and to be able to bless his heart. Join. Do, do you know that the burning desire within the heart of Jesus is for the nearness of his creation? This is what's burning in the heart of Jesus, that we would be able to draw near to him and be, be joined to him. John 17, the priestly prayer of Jesus, verse 24, Jesus, as he's praying before the Father, we get insight, he says this, he says, Father, I desire. That's a, that's a profound statement. The Son of God is revealing what's burning in his heart, and he says, Father, I desire. And what does he desire? That those that you have given me may also be with me. This is the burning desire in the heart of Jesus, that we would be with him. That's why in Mark 3 it says he appointed the 12, the disciples, so that they may be with him and so that they may preach the gospel. The preaching comes after being with him. It's what's burning in his heart. The scriptures say zeal for his house consumed him. Think about that, his house. He's not talking about a building. He's talking about a people. Jesus has such a burning zeal for nearness with his people that it says that he was consumed by it. What does that mean? Consume means to eat up, to devour, to destroy. It's Isaiah 53. There's such a burning zeal in the heart of Jesus for us to be joined to him that he was literally consumed under the wrath of the Father so that we could be joined in. He allowed himself to be consumed so that we could be brought in. So when we minister to God, what we're doing is we're responding to the burning desire of Jesus, to that zeal in his heart to be one with his bride. What we're doing is we're responding and saying, Lord, here is the reward of your suffering. This is what you died for, that we could be brought near to you, God. We give that back to you, Lord. Uh, Ephesians 1. You know what? Let's read this real quick. Real quick, hold your spot here. We'll come right back. Ephesians is right after Galatians. We'll come right back into it, right after Galatians before Philippians. I just want to read this real quick, and we'll go right back. I just want to get the wording so you see it for yourself, because this so impacted me. Ephesians 1, 16 to 18. We're talking about ministering to the Lord is giving him the reward of his suffering, that we would bless him. And in verse 16, Paul is preaching, and he says this. In verse 16, chapter 1, Paul is, is uh, uh, um, giving a word to the Ephesians, and it's this beautiful prayer we get to see, and he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, right? But here's the key, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So first Paul is saying, I pray that your eyes would be open, the eyes of your heart, for wisdom and revelation, that you would know the hope to which you've been called in Christ. But look at this next part. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See, every time I've read that, the way I've understood that is what it's saying is that we've been made rich in Christ. Now that is so true, but that is not what it's saying here. It's saying that, it's saying that look, let me read it again. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Who's his? God the Father. It's saying God the Father is saying, I have been made rich by all those who have been brought near to me through the suffering of my son. Cool. God has all things. <laughs> Think about it. He has everything. God says, but you want to know what makes me rich? Is when I see my inheritance, which is the saints. We are responding and ministering to the Lord, saying, God, we're going to give you your inheritance. We're going to give you your reward, God. Yes, we'll go out and do things, Lord. But what you first want is a people that come back and stand before you as priests and take time to tarry in your presence and thank you and praise you for all that you are. Hear what's on your heart and pray it back into the earth. And God says, when you do that, I take notice and it so moves and stirs my heart. Come back to Isaiah 56.
Let's go back into verse 6. He says, And the foreigners, Isaiah 56, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord. We'll see this next week when we really unpack priesthood. But when God called the priest to be set apart, the tribe of Levi, which again, the whole plan was for all of humanity to be able to do this. But when he called them, every time they're called, what you'll typically see is that they're called to carry the ark, they're carriers of the presence, they minister to God, and they're called to bless the name of the Lord. And with this, what this just said is this is priestly language for Gentiles now. It's saying we get to minister to God and love his name. Meaning God says, I want you to come to me. I want you to come minister to my heart. And I want you to begin to declare the glory of who I am. I want you to come near to me. And as the spirit of God begins to reveal who God is, who Jesus is and what he does, God says, I want you to respond by declaring those things back to me with a heart of affection and gratitude. And when you do that, God says, it blesses my heart. This is what we do in the prayer room. This is what we just did for an hour. We come before the Lord and we say, Holy Spirit, lead us to, lead us to see Jesus. And as he's showing us Jesus, which we're being moved by that, we respond back and God says, I'm actually moved by moving your heart. I, I, I find joy and pleasure when I see the pleasure that you have in growing in knowledge of who I am. It's the first ministry that we have to draw near, thanksgiving, praise. Let's keep reading. He says, And everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. This is all actually fulfilled in Jesus. He's our rest now. Listen, he says, These I will bring to my holy mountain, which is actually Zion, not Sinai, where the law was given, Zion, which David's tabernacle. And he says, and make them joyful. Where? In my house of prayer. In my house of prayer. This is amazing. Listen, the house of prayer is a place of joy. When we say that God has given us a vision to be a house of prayer, this is not, we don't dread this. It isn't a burden. It's the joy that we get to respond. Listen, this is, ministering to God is the celebration of the gospel. It's returning to the one who was pierced for us, who was bruised for us, who was rejected for us, who was despised for us, who was crushed for us. We respond back through that, his work. We've been set free and we're saying, God, here we are to enjoy communion with you. Here we are to give you our hearts, God. We're so thankful for the purposes and plans, but Lord, here's what you want, that we would be joined to you and that we would minister to your heart. To make a joyful noise in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices. Again, we'll see in the new covenant, priesthoods, we still offer incense and offerings, but it's worship prayers, how we do this now. And it says, from my house, ready? From my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Do you remember when Jesus in Matthew 21 went into the temple? And when he went into the temple, Jesus was met with uh, um, money changers. Do you remember that? And he began to drive it all out. And as he began to turn over the tables and drive this out of his temple, he declared in that house, he says, for it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. In other words, what Jesus is saying is my house is first meant to be a place where all peoples will come and minister to my heart. He said, but you've made it a den of robbers. Why? He says, because you've got their attentions focused on so many other things. I believe that like, the Lord honestly steps into many houses today, and this is what he finds. He's met with productivity. He's met with activity. He's met with um, progress and productivity. Like, there's all these things that I feel like we, we, we use as metrics for success. And the Lord says, this doesn't meet my desire, though. My first desire is that you would be a people that minister to my heart. So that's what we're doing in this prayer room. We're saying, God, when you come into this house, you're going to find what you were looking for, a house of prayer that opens the doors for every part of humanity to come in and bless your heart first. Lord, you will not find us stealing the affections that are rightly due to you, putting them on other things. No, you will find us getting out of the way saying, look unto the Lamb of God. Bless him, bless him. And the Lord, again, when he says, when you put this first, everything will change. This is... This is the house of prayer is actually, it's, it's the way in which we, we fulfill the unyielding passion of Jesus' heart. This is what we do, and it's actually not our plan. This is not man's plan. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you want to fill the desire of my heart? 
He says, create a place where people will come in and first minister to me. And I want you to know that this is not about a model. There's no right model, I think, to this. It's about creating a heart attitude where we come in and say, God, our first thing is, Lord, did we move you? Were you pleased? God, did you receive what you were worthy of? Yes? Turn with me to Ezekiel 44. Last scripture I want to share with you this section. And I'm sharing all this because I want us to see the value of it, like the privilege. And I, I, I want, again, we do, this, we do this in our prayer closet every morning. But I, 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 I feel the Lord calling us to corporately press into this. Morning and night, we gather and open the doors for the people to come in and minister to God. And I believe God, I just, I would say this, commit yourself to one set. Just find one set each week and commit yourself and begin to see what happens when you give yourself to God like this. And so Ezekiel 44, man, there's a lot that's going on here. We're going to pick it up in, um, I'll start in verse 10. But Ezekiel 44 is, here, here's the backdrop. This is, this is an incredible portion of scripture for capturing the privilege of ministering to God. And it really gives such a clear distinction between ministry to man and ministry to the Lord. And what's happening here is Ezekiel, he basically has this vision of a temple, now, to be clear, this temple looks like other temples, but not exactly. It's different than any other temple. It's not, it's not Solomon's temple. It's not the tabernacles of Moses. It's not that at all. And that's led to some different thoughts as to how to understand it. But that's honestly beyond our scope for right now. Here's what we, here's what we agree on. That God dwells here. It's his sanctuary. And that God, God invites us to come in into this place, again, to minister to him. And I believe that when we read through this, you're going to see this text is bursting with application and revelation for priesthood. So, so here's, here's the, the simplest way to explain it. This temple has two courts, outer courts, inner courts. Both represent two types of ministry. Outer courts is all about ministry to man. Inner courts is all about ministry to God. And what we'll see is that because of past unfaithfulness, certain priests could only be in the outer courts to men, while others had the privilege to come in and minister to God, Okay. So we're going to look at the outer courts first. Ezekiel 44, verse 10. Remember, this is, this is a vision. There's so much symbolism, but we'll try to capture the heart of it. It says, but the Levites who went far from me, going astray from me after their idols, when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. Now listen, this is interesting. God's going to say, here's, here's the punishment of a group of priests who allowed idols to take place in their heart. He said, they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the temple and ministering in the temple. They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people. And it says, and they shall stand before the people and minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore, I have sworn concerning them declares the Lord God, and they shall bear their punishment. Verse 13, they shall not come near to me to serve me as priest, nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they shall bear their shame and the abominations that they have committed. And verse 14 says that I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple to do all its service and all that is done in it. So here's the point. He says there's a priesthood that because of idolatry in the heart, he says that they will be restricted to only ministering in the outer courts, what he says is ministry to man, ministry to people. And I want you to capture this. The Lord says that that was their punishment. I want to be clear. Ministry to man is not the punishment. That's glorious. We love seeing people get set free. We love to bring the kingdom of God and pray for the sick and feed the homeless and, and whatever it may be. We love to do that. That's glorious. That's the great commission to go. The punishment is not ministering to man. It's that that's the only ministry that they will be able to do. The punishment is that they will only be able to minister to man, but they will not be able to come and minister to God. And this just wrecked me and blew my mind because most church functions are all geared towards ministering to man and not to the Lord. And yet God says this is the greatest of the two ministries. Most of what we're doing is catering to the needs of man, yet God says there's an even greater calling, which is to come away and minister to me. Think about that. He says that's the privilege 
Yet to be honest, a few years ago, you put me in a room and say, minister to people in this room, I know exactly what to do. I'll get my Bible, I'll preach the gospel, I'll start asking who needs prayer. You put me in that room a few years ago and say, now lead these people and minister to God, and I'll be like, what? And yet God says, this is the greater of the two. This is the one actually, as you keep reading, that actually leads to ministering to people. As we minister to man, then we flow out of the minister to, to the people. And here's, here's the thing is, I think most church function services are, are geared towards the ministry of man. I think we have, um, we have mastered ministry to man. Like we expend so many resources in our ministry to man. You know, if you look at church statistics, you will see that never before have we spent so much money, time, energy to reach the generation that we're in right now. But you know what the sobering statistics are? Some say upwards of 90% of the emerging generation is unchurched. See, at some point, we've got to recognize that what we're doing is not working. some point, we need to recognize that what people are actually longing for is to see a church and a body carrying something from heaven. They want to see those who have beckoned the call to come away and see the Lord and be released from that place. They want to see people that have been stunned by the beauty and brilliance of God who actually mean what they say. They're, they're hungry to see something that's real. And for so long, like we've stayed in the outer courts and God, there's a voice. Like denominations kill each other over outer court ministry. Well, I believe, I believe it should look like this. I believe this is right. No, I believe this is right. And meanwhile, the whole time, there's a voice calling saying, would you come near and draw near to me? Would you come away to me and draw near to me? And if you would do that, and if you would see me, and if you would begin to lock, if you would begin to minister to me, you'll be released into the outer courts and you will have something to say. There will be life and authority in the very things that you are doing. Like there's, there's such a, we, we've mastered this. We have new styles, new programs. We have all of these things. And I get the value of that. I, I, I understand that. But the Lord reminded me of a scripture this week, Jeremiah 2.13, in which God, God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel. And he says, my people have committed two evils against me. He says, number one, they have forsaken living water, which is me. And he says, and number two, they have hewed out, meaning they have dug out cisterns, water jugs that are broken and cannot hold any water. And I feel the Lord was highlighting, bringing back to this, that for so long, we've been so obsessed with the structure that we've forsaken the fact that there's no living water there. Like for so long, we've been saying, change the program, new style, new method. But the whole time it's like, but where's the living water? This is like, where is God in the midst of this? We have perfected the Sunday experience, yet still lives are untransformed. Why? Because where is the drawing near to God so that God shows up in the house? To me, that is the essence of organized religion. We have perfected the form. We have perfected the structure. We're obsessed with the container. And yet the whole time, there's no living water flowing. There's form, but there's no life there. And the thing that grieves my heart the most about organized religion is that it gives the facade to man that that's all that there is. And so we come in and we sing the songs and we go through the routines and it's like, that's all there is. No, no, there's a voice saying there's something deeper. I believe hearts are aching. Like, I, I do. I think people are being awakened and say, man, this whole, like, the way church is going, it just does not satisfy. There's something missing. And it's, and it's really a body that's come to love God and connect with him and see him and be transformed in that place. I, I think, listen, we should love Again, there's a, it's a fine line. It's a, it's a subtle shift of the heart. But I love to minister to man. I love to see people set free. I love to do that. But I also think it's easy to love the outer court ministry, ministry to man, because it's visible. It's public. Like when they would bring in these sacrifices in the outer courts, these priests were ministering. They were, they were uh, doing what's called peace offerings for the people. They were slaughtering before man, meaning they were in the eye of man. And there's something about that because in that place you can receive recognition. You can receive praise. You, you, you can be noticed. You can, it's in the outer court ministry that we have titles and positions. And there's nothing, nothing inherently wrong, but it's so easy to start to love that ministry because of how it actually puts us front and center. But ministry to the Lord kills that thing because what it says is come away from that and make it about him where he has preeminence of all. These priests were able to minister in the outer courts with idols in their heart. 
See, that tells me that ministry to man, it's possible to be doing all these things, and our hearts are still so divided before the Lord. Ministry to the Lord, though, confronts that. And when you have a body that's learned this, when we start coming in with a divided heart, it gets confronted. I feel like I've seen more people leave here that have said for other reasons, but I know it's because here there's a love for Jesus, and that gets confronted. It gets confronted in my heart. Like when I start giving myself away, it's like, oh, man, I start getting before the Lord just to make it about him. And I'm realizing, wow, I actually love so many other things than you, God. I have so many other affections, God. You need to kill this thing in me. And it's, it's, it's something like, love the Lord your God. When I first hear that, I'm like, give me something deeper. I learned that in, in you know, nursery school, right? And it's like, no, no, no. Love the Lord your God. It's, it's like everything. And actually, we have so many other false lovers, and God wants to set free from that. So ministering to the Lord, it's unto holiness, because we're getting our hearts to say, you have supreme place. So look at this other court, verse uh, 15. So he says, this is the outer courts. And I just want you to see this ministry in the inner courts. It says, but the Levitical priests... The sons of Zadok, who he lived during the time of David. Again, there's so much more information, but I'm just simplifying. He was a righteous priest. He was so blessed that his, his, his line, his, his lineage would be blessed. The sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me. So the outer courts, he said, here's the punishment. You can minister to man that's beautiful, that's holy. He says, but here's the problem. You won't be able to draw, to me, draw near to me. He says, but there's another priest that will be able to draw near and come into the inner sanctuary. And we don't have inner outer courts here, but this really gives prophetic language for the motives of our heart when we come in. The motive of why we do ministry. We say, Lord, we first come into the inner courts before we ever minister man outwardly. And he gives, he gives some, man, there's some really practical things that give us language for ministering to God. He says, when the people of Israel went astray from me. I'm in verse 15. It says, they shall come near to me to minister to me. There it is again. Within the heart of God, there's a burning desire for the nearness of man. He is desiring for us, for you to draw near because it so moves him. Beloved, this is not something we have to do. We get to do this. (laughs) Like we get to draw near to to our creator. We get to bless him. We get to know him. We get to move him. And in that process, we're transformed. We get to draw near to the Lord. It's possible. Do you know that's possible? That means in the outer courts, it's possible to be in church. What that's telling me is possible to be in church and have our hearts far from God. It's possible to settle at a ministry where we've done a lot of good things in the name of God, but we've actually never drawn near to God. And I believe that's why so many are bored and still bound. Because there's no, the life is not found in the program. The life is found in Jesus. That's where life is. <laughs> That's where people get set free. James said this. He says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. So we are a people that are learning to draw near. But what I love is God's made the first move, but now in response, he says, I'm waiting for you to draw near. Like it's our choice. Will we draw near to God? And if we do, God says, I will draw near to you. What do you think happens when you start to draw near to God Almighty? (laughs) Everything changes. We can't stay the same. You say, well, what do you mean draw near? I'm in the house of God. I'm with believers. Holy Spirit, as I'm born again, lives in me. How can I get any closer to God? Well, I I heard an illustration that forever changed my understanding of that. If you think about a married couple, the moment that they get married, they live together, they sleep in the same bed together, right? There's a way in which they could never go closer together in physical proximity. They're as close as you can get. And yet 10, 20 years down the road, if you ask them how their marriage is doing, hopefully you'll hear them say, well, we've grown closer together. What they mean is not that they've grown close in physical proximity. They're saying our relationship has been deepened. So when the Bible calls us to draw near to God, yes, God lives in you. But what it's saying is there's an invitation to deepen fellowship with God, deepen relationship with him. He says this, we keep reading. He says, you shall stand near, you shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me. To offer me the fat and the blood. So the priest would draw near and stand. Now, you can stand, you can sit, we can praise, jump up and down, we can lay prostrate on the ground. It's not, it's not about the physical position. The word stand is always used with describing priests that minister to God. And what it means is to remain. 
means if you stand, your feet are not moving. So when it says that we minister to God, it means to draw near and to tarry in the presence of the Lord, to abide in the presence of God. It is impossible to minister to the heart of the Lord while we're on the run in the busyness of our culture. This wages war on the culture that says, go, go, go. Even in ministry, go, go, go. And the Lord says, no, no, no. First you come before you go. The, the number one word for the gospel outside of love is come. Come and follow me. Come if you're weary. Come if you're thirsty. Jesus says, oh, I'll send you to go, but first learn to come. And then learn to build that rhythm into your life. Every day you come before me, and then I release you to go. But we stand before him in the house of prayer. What we're doing morning and night is we're creating space intentionally to stand in the presence of the Lord. To tarry in the presence of the Lord, to draw near and bless his heart. And again, if, if you're anything like me, the number one thing I'm going to say is waste of time. <laughs> this is why we need our minds renewed to the value of this. And this is where we're going with worship prayer. Because for me, maybe you can agree, I think most of us know worship and prayer is important because we know it's in the Bible. Yet we're often really inconsistent because we do not have an actual sense of the value of it that God places on it. We do not actually understand what happens to the heart of God, to us, and to the cities around us when we start worshiping and praying to the Lord. So I, I want to encourage you. When you come to minister to God, it is never a waste of time. Number one, here's what I found, and I say this over and over. I find that when I start to set the Lord before me like this and say, God, I'm going to learn to bless you every day, every week, that when I start doing that, there's a grace that spills out from that and hits every pressing need on my life. So often it's like, I, I'm sorry, I just can't, man. I got this, I got that, I got that. If we're too busy to minister to God, which is what he died for, beloved, we're too busy. It's, it's a false thing because it's, life comes from that. And that's where we start settling into places where we have language, we have form. But if we're honest, I've been there. I could tell you he's Prince of Peace. I could tell you he's the Fountain of Joy. But if you pull me aside and say, what's going on in your heart? I would say, man, I'm filled with anxiety. <laughs> I have no joy in my heart. And the Lord said, you need to learn how to come away and connect with me this way. Let all of life flow from the place of beholding and abiding. Never a waste of time. Some of you have incredible calls to go out and, and on missions fields. Do you, know that the, do you know that the place of ministering to the Lord is often the birthplace for our assignments? Often the birthplace, birthplace for um, missions. Acts 13 last week. Paul and Barnabas were ministering to God when the Holy Spirit said, set them apart, right? But this week, I was, um, I was reading through something, and it caught my attention. In Luke chapter 1, verse 18, the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah, the soon-to-be father of John the Baptist. And if you remember this scene, they're in the temple, and uh, Zechariah is not believing that he's going to have this son. And he's questioning, and, and Gabriel says this in verse 18. He says, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. What does stand mean? Stand is always priestly language of ministering to the Lord. Daniel 7.10 says the myriads and myriads of angels stand, or stand in the presence of God. What are they doing? They're declaring he's holy, he's worthy. They're ministering to God. The angel says, I, I come from the place of ministering to God. What does that look like? Look at the throne room, Revelation 4.5. Holy, worthy. And then he says this, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you to speak with you and declare to you good news. Where was Gabriel sent out from? from the place of ministering to the Lord. As he took time to minister before God, it's like God comes over and says, Gabriel, now you go. You go to Zechariah. And that saves so much time because most of the time we're just throwing a dart at the board hoping it's what God has for us. And God says, if you would come and minister to me, you'll hear what's on my heart and I'll send you into the right places. Man, I just have so many things in my heart. Are you guys with me? <laughs> Look, I feel we're just, I feel it's just like chipping away. <laughs> Chipping away. Listen, Mar Martha's, Martha's, and this is not a slight because I, I understand this, but Martha's will always say, Mary at the feet of Jesus, she's lazy and she's wasting time. Not understanding that even though it may appear that she's doing less, she actually will do more. Because she will be living by the Spirit in the divine assignment that God has for her. It's the very thing that happened in Acts 13. Jeremiah 23, 18, Jesus was, our, well, it's Jesus, God, was, it was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, saying that there were many who were prophesying in his name, but he said they're false prophets. And his number one reason for them being false prophets, you know what it was? Luke, uh, Jeremiah 23, 18, it says they were impatient. He says they would not stand in my counsel. They would not tarry and abide in my presence, but they went out speaking from their own wisdom and understanding, and they did not carry my heart or my revelation. 
This is where God forms messengers, from the coming away and hearing his heart and then being released from that place. 1 Samuel 3 says the word of God was rare in those days. You couldn't find the word of God. 1 Samuel 3.1 says, but there was one boy, and it literally says he was found ministering to God before the high priest Eli. One boy was ministering to God, not the prophet Samuel. He wasn't that yet. He was a boy, which means this is not for the mature. This is for everyone. <laughs> One boy comes in, and he begins to minister to God, and by the end of the chapter, Samuel's grown, and the word of the Lord has been restored to Israel. One man came away and said, God, I'm going to hear you. There's no revelation without relationship. No matter how many times I try to jump this, I find it just does not work. <laughs> it's revelation always comes through relationship. Oh, sure, I can go online and get a lot of stuff. I've done that. <laughs> but, but if I want revelation from the heart of God, it's from coming away. I, I feel like I just want to hit things that come in the way. Boredom, standing in the presence of God. You hear that and say, I'm going to get bored. <laughs> well, one, then, then, then our heart is on other things. But here's what I'll also say is, David said in Psalm 145.3, he says, Great is our Lord and greatly to be praised. And then he said, How unsearchable is his greatness. How unsearchable is his greatness. David is saying you could spend the rest of your life trying to search out the transcendent one. And just when you feel you've got to the top of the mountain of one characteristic, you will realize your journey has just begun. We've been invited in ministering to God and to the glorious privilege to stand, draw near, and to try to search out the unsearchable, to try to exhaust the inexhaustible. And over and over again, God will reveal new things where our heart gets moved and we come alive again and again and again. He says, the fat and the blood. He says, you'll stand before me to the fat and the blood. Mark, if you want to just throw something on, we're going to close in a sec. They shall approach my table to minister, I'm sorry, and they shall stand before me, this is verse 15, to offer me the fat and the blood. I believe this is, this is how we enter in, through the fat and the blood. What do I mean? Remember, it's all revelatory, new covenant now. Jesus' blood was spilt. Hebrews 10.19 says we can come into the holy of holies, to the inner courts, if you will. Not to a place, but it's something that happens in our heart. And we can come in with confidence because of the blood that was sprinkled. And that when we come in, we come in with the fat. You know what the fat is? It's the best. God says, come in with confidence through the blood and give me your best when you come in to minister to me. And then from this place, man, there's just, you know what, let's just read it. I, I won't give much commentary, but I just want you to see, there's so many uh, applications and fruit that flows. Verse 17, when they enter the gates of the inner court, they shall wear linen garments. They shall have nothing of wool, on, of wool on them. While they minister at the gates of the inner court and within. Verse 18. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen undergarments around their waist. They shall not bind themselves with anything that causes sweat. It's all revelatory application for Jesus. I believe this is an invitation to work from the finished work of God. God says no sweat can stand before me because that's the work of the flesh. 1 John 5 says his commandments are not burdensome. What's the context? He was saying that we are children of God, lavished by him in love. You draw near and grow in this revelation, you will live from a place of rest. You will work. Oh, we will sweat because we work hard, but it's, it's, it's by the Spirit. Verse 19, and when they go out into the outer courts to the people, because we don't just stay there, now we go out. It says something interesting. It says, they shall put off the garments in which they have been ministering and lay them in the holy chambers. And they shall put on other garments, lest they transmit holiness to the people with their garments. I believe the Lord was speaking to me on this, saying that there are many things we can impart to one another, but one thing you cannot impart is your private time with the Lord. You can never impart your history with God. That's what it's saying. It's saying these men have been with the Lord. They can't give you that. We've got to make the choice to go in for ourselves. And it's opened up for us. And there's so many other things. Let me read this last verse, verse 23. Verse 23 says this. They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. 
And so as these priests come in to minister before the Lord, it says they're actually now released to the outer courts to minister to men because God's heart is to see people set free and all the things that we love. But he says now, he says now they're qualified to teach people what is pleasing to God and what is acceptable before God. Because the Bible shows us not every offering before the Lord is holy and acceptable. Those that are most qualified to actually teach, to actually lead others into what actually pleases the heart of God are those that have been with him. And if we would just take time to come away and minister to him, God is so ready to dispense his wisdom, his purposes, his plans, that we could go into the world and say, listen, I've seen the Lord. I've been with the Lord. And I... I, I I just think there's, it's really easy to have a lot of voices right now, a lot of voices that have yet to learn to come away with the Lord and the minister to him. And they're saying, God loves this, God does this. But when you start to join near to God, you say, wait a minute, this is not the Lord that I know. There's something, there's something plastic to that ministry. It's lacking a depth to it. It's fragile. The call to restore priesthood, I believe, is the sole answer to dealing with so many things that are being proclaimed and done in the name of the Lord that have not been actually commissioned by God. So many things that are being done that just lack the anointing of God. The answer is a priesthood rising up to say, Lord, we will first come away to minister to you. Yes? So, so again, this series is a little different. I feel like we're really putting vision and, and equipping. And my heart, again, we do this on Sunday, but throughout the week, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, um, listen, we're just getting started. We've got two individuals that are in Dallas, Texas, learning about dance. When we go out and talk about praise, we're going to learn how, our, how when we respond with different types of dance, praise, lifting up of hands. Like some people don't understand why that happens, what, what happens in that. God moves. Like there is, we are just beginning this journey of how to bless God and be students of his presence. And again, as a shepherd, I want everyone to be in on this. And so if you've been called here, I believe God's calling this for you to submit yourself to this vision. All right? So let's pray. Let's pray. If you would bow your head. Yeah. Man, I feel, uh, I was just reminded of something I read this week, and I feel the Lord's bringing it up, that there are some who are really confused over your assignment what God has for you, what that looks like. And I want to encourage you that I really feel the Lord saying is, in the place of ministering to me, you will find it. And, and the imagery I had this week that I've just remembered is, imagine if someone comes into a restaurant and you're the waiter. And imagine when you see them and you seat them, you immediately run off into the kitchen and you begin to bring back all these plates of food because they're all good. And you come back and you present all this food. And although they're all good and look delicious, the people ultimately say, but that's not what I ordered. And the Lord, I feel, is saying that when you stand, you're waiting on the Lord. And the Lord is going to give you an order before you go back into that kitchen. And it's going to be what God has for you. So, Lord, I just pray for, for those that are wrestling through assignments. God, those who feel a burden to, to touch the nations, God, we thank you. We thank you for the burden for this community, God. We know that you've put us in this place, God, that we would truly reach the lost. But, Lord, I pray that we would first and foremost meet your desire. God, teach us, teach us how to come away with you. Teach us how to be a people of your presence. Jesus, teach us how to minister to you, how to bless you, how to stir you, how to wait upon you, how to hear your voice. Oh, Lord, may all that we do in this house be birthed from the place of intimacy. God, may every work that we do, every ministry that we ever do, may it be done because the Spirit of God has said, do this now. Take this back. Oh, may we work and move in the Spirit. Lord, I pray for a grace to grow in revelation of this ministry. God, that I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would sovereignly awaken hearts to join into what you're doing in here. God, we thank you that when we begin to do this, God, there's something that spills out, Lord, for revival. We thank you that when we're changing your presence, we go out, Lord, and we see cities change. So we thank you, God, that there's a bigger picture. But, Lord, we heed the call to the one thing first. 
So we just say, Holy Spirit, would you find a body unified in this? Giving themselves to this. Meeting your need. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.